Amen. Good sing, good songs. Good to see all of you tonight. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 as we continue our study of the book of Revelation. So tonight we come to a description of the tribulation period on earth. This description, this prophecy will cover Revelations chapter 6 through 18. So the largest sort of chunk of the book of Revelation is going to be a description of the seven-year tribulation. Again, so let me remind all of us here in the prophetic calendar of things that the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. Could come at any time. Could come before we get done tonight. Sometime after the rapture of the church begins the seven-year tribulation. And the reason why the church is not involved in the tribulation is for many reasons. One is because the tribulation is where God turns his focus now away from the church that is raptured and in heaven back to the nation of Israel. Back to prophecy, back to Daniel's 70th week. There are still things that God has prophesied about the nation of Israel that he has put on hold during the church age and will now resume that in this seven-year period called the tribulation. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, we're going to obviously study towards the end of the book of Revelation is what uh, is called the Battle of Armageddon where Jesus comes from heaven riding on a white horse with the armies of heaven with him, which, by the way, that's you and me. And we come back to watch him basically vanquish all of the enemies at the Battle of Armageddon and literally set up his kingdom, which he will rule over for 1,000 literal years on earth. Now, when we come to Revelation chapter 6 and we begin to see a description of the tribulation... I want to, before we get into this, remind us of a couple things. First of all, I want to remind us of the words of Jesus in the Gospels concerning this seven-year period. Listen to what Jesus himself says about this period. He says, In those days there will be suffering unlike anything that has happened from the beginning of the creation that God created until now or ever will happen. Let me repeat that. Jesus says that this seven-year period, in those days there will be suffering unlike anything that has happened from the beginning of the creation that God created until now or ever will happen. Also, before we get into Revelation chapter 6, let's be reminded of something. And that is periodically throughout The book of Revelation, John is always going to want us to stay connected, even though there are all these things that are being described on earth, he wants us to stay connected to what's going on in heaven continually. God wants us to do that even now. That's why Paul says to Christians, set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. Instead of getting caught up in the circumstances and everything on earth, we need to continually keep our mind focused on eternal things and in heaven and remind ourselves God's on the throne. 
God's in control. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is being worshipped. And again, remember, the word worship in the book of Revelation especially means to basically express proper reverence and respect. So, what the Bible is showing us here in the book of Revelation, first of all, is this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not primarily a book about prophecy, though many Christians look at it that way. It's primarily revealing the glorified Christ. It's reminding us who He is. That He's he's not to be looked at any longer as the humble servant of God who came and died on the cross for our sins. He's to be looked at as He is described in Revelation chapter 1. That's who He is. He's at the right hand of God the Father and He is ruling and reigning this universe along with God the Spirit and God the Father. And in heaven right now, as it has been through all time in heaven, He is being given the proper reverence and respect. The reason why the tribulation period is going to come is for a couple different reasons. One, God has to uh, get rid of those who will not give him proper reverence and respect. They, they must be done away with, not in an annihilation way, but they must be put aside, if you will. Secondly, God, as we're going to even see here tonight, in his wrath, is actually going to give man exactly what man wants. If man doesn't want God, man wants to run his own life, man wants to run his own thing, and wants to ignore God, neglect God, push God to the fringe, pretend like God doesn't even exist, live as if God doesn't even exist, God's going to give them exactly what they want. And in a sense, that's what God is doing now. So we need to be reminded that, again, As Jesus said, though this seven-year period is unprecedented in world history, let's not forget that the wrath of God, Paul says to the Romans in Romans 1.8, is already being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of mankind. It always has been. Because God has built into the very fabric of the universe that He created consequences for going against what His will and His Word says. In other words... Mankind is always paying the consequences and price for their sin. For for choosing to go their way rather than God's way. And for those who choose to accept their way rather than even to take God's way of salvation through Jesus Christ, then obviously they're going to pay the consequences for their sin rather than seeing Jesus do that for them as our substitute. So let's remember something. That though we're going to read about horrific things beginning to happen during this seven-year period, let's not forget that in heaven, Jesus Christ is continually being worshipped during this whole time. 
And part of the reason for this beginning is that one day the inhabitants of the earth will acknowledge and will properly give Jesus Christ the reverence and respect that he deserves. And I'm hoping through our study of even this tribulation period that maybe all of us will have even a greater respect, a greater reverence for God, a greater all of God than we've ever had before. Because to me, that's what any normal Christian should come away from a study of Revelation with. If nothing else, we should come away with, wow, our God should be reverenced and respected at all times. And then we should begin asking ourselves, how do I live that? How do I flesh that out? How do I express in my everyday life my respect and reverence for this God? The other thing I want to point out, tying it into Sunday's message, is this. Let's not forget, though, Sunday's message from 1 Peter was all about the fact that we are called to suffer as Christians. That let's not forget, as we get into the suffering that's going to happen to the inhabitants of the world who have rejected Christ and refused God in their life, that there is no comparison at all. And let's be reminded, for us as Christians, one more time, that whatever suffering we go through now on earth is the only hell we will ever know. For those who do not know God, for those who never want to properly respect and reverence God, anything good that they experience is the only piece of heaven they will ever know. And so let's get into it tonight. Revelation chapter 6. John says, I looked and when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, let's be reminded, who's opening the scroll? Who's opening up the title deed of the planet Earth? Who is opening up this catalog of judgments and this description of what's going to happen one day on the Earth? It's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. And so again, this reminds us of a couple things. First of all, this reminds us of victory through sacrifice. That's why Revelation continues, John in Revelation, to call Jesus not just the lion that he called him last week, but continues to call him the lamb. Because God wants us to understand the principle that ultimate victory, even for God himself, came through sacrifice as the Lamb of God. The reason He is worshipped and adored in heaven and will be one day by all creation is not just because He created the earth, but because, as we talked about last week, He sacrificed His very life and that He gave His blood to redeem men and women from every tribe, every nation, every dialect around the world. And one day they will all stand in heaven adoring, worshiping, praising Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, because without His willing sacrifice, none of us would be able to experience the glories of heaven that we will one day experience. The other thing, though, that this teaches us is this. If you quickly go over to the very last verse, or I'm sorry, verse 16. Notice that John talks about the wrath of the Lamb. I want you to see that phrase in verse 16 of Revelation chapter 6. The wrath of the Lamb. 
That's not something we usually associate with, first of all, a lamb or even Jesus Christ. And that's why a study of the book of Revelation and an understanding of the book book of Revelation is absolutely essential to every Christian, especially, because without it, we get a warped, unbalanced, unbiblical view of who Jesus Christ is. We always look at him as the lamb, as the one who surrendered, as the one who humbled himself as the one who died on the cross and took our punishment and all of that. And again, that's great, but that's only half the picture, folks. The other half of the picture is what John and other places in the Bible describes about who Jesus really is. That He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That He is the sovereign master of the universe. That that He rules. That He reigns. And that this Lamb is also the lion. And one day, he will pour out his wrath upon this planet. See, without without a book like Revelation, even Christians can get a very unbiblical, unbalanced view of Jesus in their life. And let's remember that the book of Revelation has already told us that the predominant characteristic of God, whether you're talking about the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, is that He is holy, holy, holy above everything else. So this is the Lamb. And this is the wrath of the Lamb. And we're going to talk about exactly what wrath is when we get to verse 16 tonight that is happening here as He opens up these seals on this scroll that we were introduced to back in Revelation chapter 5. And I heard one of the four living creatures, these supernatural beings that we were introduced to earlier in our study of Revelation, saying with a thunderous voice, literally to roar, come, arise, appear. And so this first horse, what many refer to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, comes forward and appears. And he says, I looked and here came a white horse and the one who rode on it had a bow and it was given him a crown and as a conqueror he rode out to conquer. I don't believe that this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lamb opening up the seal. I believe that this is a description that is close to other descriptions of Christ, even in the book of Revelation. But I believe what is being described here is clearly the counterfeit Christ, or who we will learn later in the book of Revelation is the Antichrist that is now stepping forward. This is another reason why I believe that we as Christians don't need to take a lot of time and try to figure out who the Antichrist is. The Bible says that the mystery of iniquity is already at work and the foundation for the Antichrist is already being laid on the earth under the surface. But I don't believe that the Antichrist will be revealed until after the rapture of the church. You see, after we're in heaven. I can, I, I can believe that, you know, for those who are alive when the rapture happens, for us as Christians who are alive... He might be alive at that time, obviously, but I don't think that he's going to be known throughout the world until after the rapture at some point. You sort of get that even in the book of Revelation where the church is already raptured and now 
God begins to open up the seals and, and set forth the description of the tribulation and it comes out as the Antichrist. A bow is a symbol of strength, but notice he carries no arrows with the bow, which means that most of his early victories in becoming the Antichrist or ruler of the world are bloodless victories. And the Bible says in other places that he will have uh, the satanic power and actually be energized by Satan to be able to deceive the nations and that people will follow him. We don't have time to go into all the parallel verses that describe for us the Antichrist, but I believe that's what's being described here. And again, why would, why would the Lamb of God unleash the Antichrist? Well, because they've rejected the Christ. See, when people reject the truth, all that means is they're open for what is not true. That's always the consequence. That's the consequence today. Of, of anybody who rejects the truth, that makes you and I more susceptible to what's not true. And Jesus is simply saying, you don't want any parts of me? You don't want me to lead you? You don't want me to be your shepherd? Here you go. Here he is. You'll follow him. And Jesus actually predicted this when he was on earth. He said to his followers one day, he says, or to those who were thinking about following him, he says, I came in my father's name and you did not receive me. One will come after me in his own name, him you will receive. Think about it. So anyway, here comes the first horse riding out to conquer in his pursuits. Notice he's not the conqueror in verse 2. He is a conqueror. And though many people build up the Antichrist as this great figure in history, he's only in power in the world for a very short time. And the Bible says Jesus Christ literally destroys the Antichrist by breathing 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So again, the book of Revelation isn't written to us to try to get us all enamored and all, all focused on the Antichrist, we better keep our focus on the Christ, the conqueror, the one who is being worshipped and will forever be worshipped in heaven. Not for these earthly figures that are going to come and go throughout the tribulation period. Second, verse 3. Then when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another horse, fiery red, came out. And the one who rode it was granted permission to take peace from the earth so that people would butcher one another. And he was given a huge sword. See, one of the things that's going to happen during the tribulation period, first of all, is, again, it's hard for us on this side of it to truly understand the, the depth and the depravity that this world's going to get to even way more than what it is now. Take the church out of the picture. I mean, right now the Bible says that one of the things that's restraining and hindering just unhindered, abandoned excess of sin is the presence of the Holy Spirit through His church. Bible says once the church is gone, oh my goodness, you think things are bad now? You think violence and, and cruelty and what men will do to each other? We haven't seen anything, just like Jesus said. It will be unprecedented. 
and you take the church and the Holy Spirit out of this world and you begin to see things like the Antichrist come and, and Satan and the demonic world continuing to wrap its, its grip upon this world tighter and tighter and men who have already rejected God even reject the warning sign of the rapture? I mean, think about it. It's not like God hasn't given men and women on earth warning signs that this all is coming. And then the ultimate warning sign that there's something coming is millions of Christians will all of a sudden just disappear off the earth. There's a warning. And yet, we're going to learn that they have become so hardened in their sin that they don't want any parts of it for the most part. An unprecedented time of violence and murder. Then when the Lamb, verse 5, opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. So I looked and here came a black horse, literally in the original ink. The one who wrote it had a balance scale in his hand. Then I heard something like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat will cost a day's pay, and three quarts of barley will cost a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and the wine. Again, without spending too much time going into all this, basically what this is describing is a worldwide economic collapse. You think inflation's bad now? You, you think things are hard now? Because of all that's going on in the world, this worldwide economy that everybody is pushing towards in the world, and, and nations all tied together with their economy and their money and all this, and it's all coming to that, folks. But one day, this worldwide economy is totally going to collapse. And the very essentials of being able to even survive and exist are going to cost exorbitant, exorbitant amounts of money. And people just aren't going to be able to survive. There's going to be great famine and great drought in the world. Again, unlike what anyone has ever seen. By the way, throw this out. You know, I always talk to us about how important it is that we be deep-rooted and that we care more about depth than we do breadth. And the very fact that the angel says, do not hurt the olive oil or the wine, very interesting to me that olive plants and grapevines, if you will, are two plants that have some of the deepest root systems. In other words, they will survive because of their depth, even in such terrible times, I think that's a sign for us, if you will. Verse 7, Then when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. So I looked, and here came a pale green horse, literally a yellowish green. Sick. That, that picture of sickness. And I looked, and there came a pale green horse. The name of the one who rode it was Death. And Hades followed right behind. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill its population with the sword, with famine, with disease, and also by the wild animals of the earth who will be on a frenzy at that point because of lack of food even for themselves. 
They will turn on mankind like never before in history. A fourth of the earth's population gone. Just like that. A couple of things. Let's not forget, as we are reading this description, that when it talks about death in Hades here, let's remember what Jesus said. I hold the keys of death in Hades. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death in Hades. And let's remember that the term Hades simply is a description of the conscious afterlife. In other words, death is not the end for anyone. There is an eternal existence. God annihilates none of His creatures. The angels will live forever and humanity will live forever. The question is not whether we will live forever. The question is how we will live forever and where we will live forever. That's the question. And by the way, what we have seen described here is simply also not just the Lamb opening up these seals and having, in a sense, direct effect on what is happening on earth, but let's not forget that what we are really reading about is the final descent of man. It is the final sort of bloom, if you will, of humanism. Of, of, of mankind throughout history thinking that they are the end-all, be-all. That somehow man is, is, is it. Man is the belly button of the universe, as I say sometimes. Man has all the answers somewhere. Man's going to figure this out. Man's going to be able to do this. And we, we can forget God, even if there is a God, and we can do this on our own. And God's going to say, you want to do this without me? Go ahead. Go ahead. See what happens on earth when you completely remove me, when you don't want me anymore. What we are reading about, because folks, what we are already seeing on earth, even with the church present, even with the Holy Spirit working through the church, you think things are bad now, right? And they are. And why are they as bad as they are? And why are they continuing to get worse and worse? Because God is continuing to be further and further removed from this world. And as I've said before, when man loses God, he also loses himself. You cannot exterminate God without exterminating the one that God created. And so God is basically giving man what he wants. You want a world without me. You want life without me. Here's what's going to happen. Because of the corruption and all of that, that, that the economy is going to crumble. People are going to continue to murder and kill and there's violence and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And the tribulation is going to be an unprecedented time of showing man, really, this, this is what you came up with. This... This is what happened when I let you in control and sort of allowed you to take things where you wanted to go. This is the world you ended up with. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is one day going to intervene and turn this world back to Him? Because man has made a mess of it. And man will always make a mess of things without God in the equation. And tr the tribulation period is sort of God's Great proof, if you will, to the world of what's going to happen to man 
when he does things apart from God. Now here's the cool thing. Even in the midst of such terrible things, God is so great that people will still be coming to know him even in the tribulation. Now, as we're going to read in just a moment, most of those people are going to be martyred and murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. But the fact is that let's not forget that in this seven-year tribulation, many, many Jews especially, along with some Gentiles, are going to be saved. And they're going to recognize that Jesus Christ was their Messiah all along. And there's going to be this great revival in the nation of Israel, especially during the tribulation period. So notice the fifth seal, verse 9. When the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been violently killed. They were killed because of the Word of God and because of the testimony they had given. In other words, they were basically testifying and giving witness to the fact that they believed the Word of God and they were now uh, in allegiance to Jesus Christ. Well, during the kingdom of the Antichrist, that's not going to be stood for. So they will be martyred for their faith. And they cry out with a loud voice once they get to heaven. How long, sovereign, master, holy and true, before you, can't read it, judge those who live on the earth and avenge our blood. By the way, I want you to go back to that phrase in verse 10. And remember those descriptions of Jesus? Sovereign, Master, Holy, and True. That's who Jesus is. That's who we need to remember that He is. And even during the tribulation, there will be people who come to know Christ and die for their faith. Who end up in heaven and say, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Before we're vindicated. Before you come and bring justice to this world. Because there is no justice on this earth anymore. There is nothing just about what man has done in his doing. And again, God lets man go for a while, but one day God is going to supernaturally intervene and say, now justice will be done for all time. I will set things straight. I will vindicate. My servant. So notice what his response is. Each of them was given, first of all, a long white robe, a garment of rank. And they were told to rest for a little longer until the full number was reached of both their fellow servants and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. By the way, the word rest there means a calm, confident, patient expectation. I'm going to come, I'm going to avenge, I'm going to vindicate, I'm going to bring justice. Just wait a little bit longer. Be calm. Be confident in who I am. Again, it's a reminder for all of us that as we read even about the tribulation, that even in the world in which we live, even the things and trials and the suffering and the things we talked about Sunday that we go through, we must always stay connected to God in heaven. And we must never get so caught up in what's going on the earth that our focus becomes earthbound rather than heaven. 
That's what keeps us centered. That's what keeps us calm and composed in the midst of chaos. You see. Either personally or worldwide chaos. Because we have come to believe Jesus Christ is on the throne, always will be on the throne. Jesus has got everything under control. His plan that he has predicted in the word thousands of years ago, Old Testament, New Testament, is coming to pass just as he said. He would tell any of his servants, rest a little longer. Just stay calm, composed, confident in me and what I have said. Patient expectation. Verse 12. Then I looked when the Lamb opened the sixth seal and a huge earthquake, literally a huge shaking took place. The sun became as black as sackcloth made of hair and the full moon became became blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth like fig trees dropping its unripe figs when shaken by a fierce wind. Now folks, many even Christians read this and go, I I can't see that happening. Sorry, it's going to happen. Now I will say this. The word in the Greek language for stars here in verse 13 is the word aster, A-S-T-E-R. And I believe that what he's describing here is not necessarily stars, but asteroids or meteorites that are pelting the earth at this point. That's where we get the word asteroid from, the Greek word aster. But do I believe that the sun is going to be darkened and the moon turned blood red? Absolutely. Why is God doing all this? Because people on planet Earth at this point, and obviously up to this point, have basically denied the fact that He's the Creator. That He made all this universe. And He's going to basically say to them, by orchestrating all this, I'm the Creator of this. I can make my creation do whatever I want my creation to do. If I want the sun to stop shining, I can make it stop shining. If I want to make the moon red, I can make the moon red. If I want to start sending meteorites and asteroids on the earth, I can. And by the way, I think the only reason that asteroids and meteorites don't pelt the earth more than what they do and destroy the earth right now is simply because God preserves it. In fact, I I had to sort of chuckle. There was this scroll going across the news today that scientists were really wigged out because just the other day, this meteorite that I guess was three football fields long passed within two million miles of the earth and they were saying, that's too close for comfort. Two million miles. I'm going, well, maybe for you scientists that's close. It's going to get a lot closer. (laughs) And then notice this. The sky was split literally severed, separated, apart like a scroll being folded or rolled up. Why does God do this? I think we're going to see in just a moment. Remember when 
when Stephen was being stoned and he had the ability literally to look up into heaven and sort of see God in heaven while he was being stoned? I think that God, during the tribulation, is literally going to crack open the sky and allow all those who are still living on the earth to literally be able to look up and see where all this is coming from. So that there is no denial who's orchestrating all this. In fact, we're going to see that in just a minute. They know exactly where all these things are coming from and who's behind it all. Notice. Then it says, every mountain and island was moved. Set in motion. You want to talk about a shaking. Folks, think about this. This is our God. Should he not be reverenced and respected? It it just... When Christians even go around so flippant about their Christian life and about God and about just how they talk about him and how they treat him and 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 what they do in their lives as if it 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 really is no big deal it's almost like even for many christians their view of god and their concept of god is so small and their god is so feeble and weak that they have lost who god really is and one of the things that revelation is reminding us of is this is our god We should live in total reverence and respect for this God. He created all this. He sustains it all. He can make it do whatever He wants to do at any time. And though men will deny that He's the Creator and deny Him, one day He's going to so dramatically intervene that they have no choice but to understand and acknowledge who He is. In fact, notice... Verse 15, then the kings of the earth, that would be the political leaders, and the very important people, I would translate that as the movers and shakers, and the generals, that would be the military leaders all over the world, and the rich and wealthiest and powerful, and even everyone, every slave and every free, hid themselves in the caves and amongst the rocks of the mountains. Now notice something. Notice it doesn't matter how great someone is, how small they are, they're all the same in relationship to God. And again, it reminds us of how arrogant and proud man has become in thinking how how great they are and they don't need God. And they can do things without God and they can live without God and, and they can navigate life without God. And they've got it all figured out. Man has the answer. In fact, man is the answer. That's what the humanists will tell us. Just give us a little bit more time and somehow, some way, we as humans will figure it out. No, we just make a bigger mess of it without God. And one day, it doesn't matter how powerful politically, how much wealth anybody has, That wealth and all that power and all that position isn't going to matter one day. The only thing that's going to matter is, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the only thing that's going to matter. So they hid themselves. 
And notice what they say in verse 16. This is fascinating. All these people on earth say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And there's a sense of urgency in the original language. In other words, it's like, descend now. Basically, kill us. So that we can be hidden, notice, from the face of the one who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They clearly now know where all this is coming. And whether they ever believed that God really existed before then, they do now. But notice something very fascinating here. Notice that they fear the presence of God and being in His presence more than they fear death itself. Think about that. That's why... When people like go, oh, I don't understand like why people who reject God, why they have to be sent away for all of eternity. Don't you understand God's giving them what they want? See, somehow we are warped in thinking that, well, if God just was, you know, more active or more dramatic and did more things, it would wake everybody up. And, and even if, if, if they just woke up, they would understand and they would turn to God and they would want to be a God's followers and they would want to be in his presence. No. See, that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is even knowing God knowing where all this judgment's coming from, that they would rather die than be in His presence. Just the opposite. And I know it's hard for believers, especially for us to wrap our minds around it, because we are completely opposite. We love being in the presence of God. We enjoy being in the presence of God. We desire to be in the presence of God. In fact, one of the great things we are looking forward to as believers is being in the presence of God for all of eternity. And yet there is a massive amount of humanity down through the ages who want nothing to do with the presence of God. They want nothing to do with being in His presence and being around Him and being a follower of His. They'd rather die than be in the presence of God. Verse 17. Because the great day of their wrath has come. Wrath. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of the Lamb. Wrath is simply defined as the intense and settled disposition of God against evil. That's what wrath is. It is an intense and settled disposition of God against all that is evil. Why does God have such an intense and settled disposition against evil? Because God, more than any of us ever will, understands how destructive evil is. How damaging evil is. How dishonoring evil and sin is. That's why. He sees how it's destroyed His creation. He sees how it destroys people's lives today. And He tries to reach out through all of this and say, 
Don't you want a life that's better than this? Why are you settling for that when you could have this? Abundant life. And have it for all of eternity. Well, though it may be hard for us to understand, there are many human beings confronted as clearly as they can be with God still would rather choose to live for eternity away from His presence than to spend one day with God in His presence. That's what Revelation is reminding us of. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus has to basically pull those people aside so that He can set up His earthly kingdom. Because they don't want any parts of His kingdom. They don't want to be led by Him or ruled by Him. So He will push them aside and then set up His earthly kingdom. One other thing. Notice this. Very last phrase. And who is able to withstand it? Now very clear here, very important here, this word withstand. You could also translate this escape. In other words, John is saying, there's no escape. As we already saw, it doesn't matter kings, generals, how powerful someone is. No one will ever be able to escape the reach of the Lamb of God. Which also then implies in this word withstand that there's also an inevitability about what we see happening here that's predicted. In other words, no matter how much even we may go, oh, I hope that doesn't happen or somehow live in denial that this is ever going to really happen, that somehow we try to you know, sugarcoat it or make it less than what it is, John is telling us and everyone who will listen, what we are learning here is inevitable. It's inevitable because God predicted it. And God is trustworthy. And it will happen exactly like God said. No matter how much you want to make it you know, you want to think it's not going to happen and you want to live in a fantasy world and you want to deny it, it is going to happen one day. It's inevitable. Listen to these words in closing, which ties in with what we just read there at the end. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. No creature is hidden from God. But everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must render an account. See, people think they can hide from God. Just like Adam and Eve. It goes back to the beginning. Adam and Eve sin and what they try to do? Hide from God. God doesn't want us to hide. He wants us to come out in the open so that He can deal with what needs to be dealt with. But even up to the very end, none won't come forward and let God deal with the problem of sin in their life, they would rather hide from God for all of eternity. But the Bible teaches us because God is omnipotent and because God is omnipresent, no one can ever hide from God. No one's ever going to be able to escape the reach of the Lamb. Everyone's going to be touched at some point. No one's going to escape. It's inevitable. With these words... John is trying to remind us, this is our God. Should we not reverence and respect our God and be thankful that we're not going to be in what's being described in Revelation chapter 6?
Come back next week where we go back up to heaven and we start worshiping the Lamb once again. Let's pray. God, we thank You for reminding us, Lord, even as hard as it may be for even Christians to read and be confronted with the description of the tribulation period, may we realize, God, as much as we might not ever want that to happen or deny that it will happen, God, it will happen just as you said. Every human being will one day have to stand before God and give an account. No one is ever out of God's reach. Lord, I pray that we would live in such a way that we reverence and respect you in all that we do, that God, it would even draw other people men and women, to reverence and respect you as well. Maybe one of the reasons why people aren't flooding to faith in Jesus Christ, maybe one of the reasons why is because we as the church aren't truly being as respectful of you as we should be. That we are not living in reverence of you and acknowledging who you are in our lives like we should. We can become very careless and flippant in our walk at times. And so God, I pray for us who know you, that even our study of Revelation would draw us back to you. And that Lord, we would truly run into your presence and love being in your presence. But God, let's also be reminded that there are many who never want to be in your presence. And though that may be hard for us to understand, God, help us to accept your word by faith and help us to be a witness and help us to testify in the world in which we live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here.